Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest Empire Podcast spoiler special. This one is dedicated with a fair amount of remorse to the latest attempt to kickstart a Tom Clancy franchise on the big screen. It is, of course, without remorse. Michael B. Jordan... Michael B. killing everyone who gets in his way, more like. For this movie, he sees Michael B. Jordan play John Kelly slash John Clark, hunting down the men responsible for killing his wife and unborn child. Not, as you might imagine, by dropping a fridge on them. Something else happens. Anyway, over the next minutes or so, I will be discussing this movie with my very own Tom Clancy's Rainbow 2, <laughs> our clear and present danger, Helen O'Hara. Hello. And the Cardinal of the Kremlin himself, Amon Warman. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that. Hello. I was going to go <laughs> for that as my screen name. Oh, really? Yeah. I, what, I have what have you gone for? I went for clear and present Helen. I mean, that's just taking it's a movie title basic. and putting your, your name in it, isn't it? Yeah, really? I was going to go um, for it, but I was thinking like podcaster of the Kremlin and that didn't really work. No. Cardinal's work. just a cooler title. In fairness, my squad cast name is Clark Kelly, which is... I'm not even trying. I'm not even trying. I was trying something with Kelly Clarkson. I was going to go for that. There's something there, isn't there? Yeah. There is something. Kelly Clark's on... Yeah, um, anyway, um, um, Michael B. Jimspiration is Amon's <laughs> name. And he's got his guns out. I know you guys can't see this because we don't record these, but my word, yeah. Amon is rocking the biceps. Hey, when Sounds the like weather is this good, you know, sometimes you gotta, you got to enjoy it, man. <laughs> I can see the wearing shades for this podcast, but I thought better of it. Yes, thank, <laughs> thankfully, you are also wearing clothes. I was, I was wondering if you might go full Michael or B. Am Jordan. I? No, I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an elaborate Please illusion. Please don't, don't tell me anything, guys. Both of you. Anyway, before we get into the movie, here is an interview I did fully clothed with the film's director, also fully clothed, Stefano Salima. Uh, Now, due to circumstances beyond my control, this is only 15 minutes long, folks. Uh, Not ideal. Not the sort of thing I like from a spoiler special, but there you go. As I say, it was beyond my control. I blame Guy Pearce. So we were only able to scratch the surface of this movie, but I had fun talking to him and hopefully you will too. And as ever, spoilers. Which you know, because it's the Spoiler Special channel. <laughs> Enjoy. Uh, so, Stefano, this is uh, for a spoiler podcast about the movie. It's going to come out after the film's out. Basically means we can get into the nitty gritty of this movie. And uh, where I wanted to start with you, sir, was there's a wonderful motif that runs all the way through the film, which is basically... Don't get into a car with John Kelly. It'll either be on fire or underwater. Uh, was that a deliberate motif for you? Is that something you wanted to explore with this character? Yeah, absolutely. And this, I mean, the guy is absolutely crazy, and we wanted to push even more. So, and what I think was a, 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 a great experience because uh, in the beginning when I met. Um, uh, Michael B. I asked him to play everything. Mm-hmm. So the movie that, that my pitch was: uh, let's create an action thriller, uh, gritty, even fast. But please, let's keep the human being at the center. So I asked him. But if we do so, if you like the approach, we you need to play all the stunt in the movie mm-hmm. on your own, without stunt and without uh, any double. 
And then, of course, because it's interesting, it's interesting to not to watch the action for the action. It's interesting to see how the action is changing, is uh, uh, affecting your character. And uh, having a, a, an actor like uh, Michael B that is uh, kind of uh, transparent, you can read his emotion through his eyes. I think that was uh, an opportunity. And of course, it was a little bit tricky because we had uh, Michael B getting in the car for real with uh, fire all around and the producer, and fortunately it was one, the producer, but the other one, they, they were looking at me like, what? What do you want to do? Where do you want to send our Michael B? And he did. So, I mean, it was uh, crazy. And he did uh, an incredible physical effort to be believable. And then he did everything you've, uh, you have seen in the movie. That it's uh, crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an exhausting movie to watch, I have to say, because you go through it with with John all the way. I mean, the, the final shootout uh, I really liked because you can see the physical toll it's taking on this guy. Yeah, and this is, I mean, and this was the, the, the idea. It's to create, to be always with, uh, with uh, Michael, with uh, John Kelly, and ex- experience what a war is. And war is also this. I mean, it's, you get to a point where you, you, you work over your natural limits. And so, and then we designed all the all the uh, all the sequence around it. And then, for example, we tried not to cut a lot the sequence, and we worked mostly with the tracking shot. There is the the scene where he get down from the stairs. That is uh, one uh, tracking shot where Michael does all the fight. So we designed also uh, with uh, Doug Coleman, the stunt coordinator, all the all the stunts as a choreography, where uh, you you push your actor for real at the limit. So what you see in the movie, it's uh, partially acting, partially is real. It was, after the the fight, it was really a little bit wounded and it was he had pain. So I think it's uh, it's a way to make a, a a movie in a realistic way. Hmm. And is that something that that plays all the way through the movie as well? I'm thinking, for example, that you keep your camera with John an awful lot, where you ground the audience from his point of view. That that scene in the prison, for example, where he beats up the guards in in riot gear, we're very much contained within the cell. With John, so that's a conscious decision that you're, that you're making as as a filmmaker. Yeah, and, and, and this is a big difference from the book because, of course, for example, the book they have different point of view. So we and then the movie we decided to get stick to on uh, on just his point of view. That also, I feel it's interesting for uh, the other arch that is not just the revenge action side, part of it, but is the geopolitical conspiracy that I think that if you 
tell the story just from his point of view, your, your twist as an audience and his twist as a character are going to be coincidental. They are going to be exactly in the same moment because you're going to learn everything from his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And- think, uh, as a structure, it's kind of interesting. Where you get to the end, you're going to be like uh, Michael is like, whoa, really? without knowing anything. And you change completely perspective of what you have seen and all the character. I think it, uh, it creates uh, an interesting kind of mood spread around the movie. Yeah, because uh, all the way through the film, John is asking himself who is behind this. And you make the audience think for the longest time that it's Ritter, who is the bad guy. Uh, and, and you have Jamie Bell playing the character in this wonderfully shifty way that everything he says, everything he does just feels slightly off. Um, can you talk about that as a director setting up this this mystery, this idea that you they, they think it's Jamie Bell, but it's really Guy Pierce? I, I, I think that basically my approach is to never judge a character and never being too bold in defining him. So I, I found it was kind of interesting, the reader, because if you tell the story, thinking as his point of view makes sense because he believes, and for him, Kelly is just an operative, he's a soldier. You don't know, you, you, it's not necessary for him to understand what is behind a war. This is just an operative. So from his point of view, he's right. And also, when he's a little bit suspicious about the mission, if you think he's right again, you feel it because you're watching it through Michael's point of view, from Kelly's point of view, and you're feeling mm, suspicious and weird. But if you... Yes. Uh, Flip it is exactly for a reader that cannot believe that the, 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 the guy who is a felon come out to make a personal revenge instead of doing a mission. So we've been really um, careful with, uh, with Taylor to create characters that are, that are not villain or good guys, but real people. Each one with his uh, vision of the life that reflects on the other. And Guy Pierce, it's, uh, it's another one. Secretary Clay, mm-hmm. if you think at him, he's a patriot for real. It's not crazy. It's not crazy at all. And what he's saying in the car to, to Michael says, oh, we have a, a country that is split in two. We need to create an enemy. Because if we don't create an enemy, we are going to kill each other. So let's create an enemy. Which is the best uh, enemy we ever had? Russia. Okay. Let's create them. And, but if you think about his point of view, again, makes sense. It's crazy. You cannot, of course, you disagree with, but you can understand that this uh, as a, a vision. Yeah, is the mind behind crazy, but makes sense. Yeah, 
And you also have that uh, that's echoed in the confrontation between John and Brett Gelman's character as well. Who they're very much two sides of the same coin. Yeah, exactly. So we tried not to be to have a villain that are just a bold, oh, yeah, I'm the bad guy, and that's it. We try to create a, a world with the character that have a different uh, mission, different purpose, different idea, and they are keep colliding one against the other. Mm. But uh, trying to create a character that uh, that makes sense, that are real. And, and how difficult is it as a director on a movie like this, where you have to tell a story, a self-contained story within a two-hour period, but you also have one eye, as Michael does as well as a producer, on setting up a future movie. For example, there's that, that scene right at the end of the movie, the, the post-credit scene, I, I guess, where we're meeting a slightly different John Clark, we're meeting a slightly different Ritter, we're setting up Rainbow Six. Was that an was that interesting aspect of things for you? Is that, is, that, is that a world you're going to continue to make? Yeah, I mean, normally, and I've done a lot of TV, Mm-hmm. that it's uh, serialized by definition. I, I mean, I, when I work on something, I never think in terms of franchise because this is something that could eventually happen. It's not the base of your uh, uh, thought or what moves you on doing something. And so basically not. We treat is as a unique piece, and the goal was to set up the, um, a character, a world, a new universe based on the Tom Clancy universe, and uh, and that's it. I think that it's distracting to think about uh, a sequel while you are doing uh, a movie, for the simple reason that the sequel. Uh, have a reason, as a reason, just if you succeed with the movie. And normally you don't succeed in something if you I mean are distracted by, oh, uh, <laughs> let's do 42 movie on John Kerry. So it's yeah. like, uh, yes. let's do one movie, good, if it's going to be well received, of course we are going to be ready to think about uh, an eventual sequel, but it's not the starting point. Not for me. Okay. So, and uh, so I was going to ask, was there at any point any temptation to thread in a few Jack Ryan references, a few overt references to Jack Ryan? Well, no, because, I mean, it's like uh, it's a parallel uh, universe. I mean, it's like uh, it doesn't make sense. I don't know in the future, probably could make uh, eventually sense, but uh, not in Without Remorse, because in uh, Without Remorse, it's the origin story for uh, John Kelly how it became John Clark. Yeah. So, and, and by adopting this uh, uh, to be sticked on the point of view was, um, I mean, it was just uh, for them, let's say, to blink an eye to the, to the audience. Yes. The title is Without Remorse, and it's uh, a very brutal film in that regard, Stefano. Does that give you license does the title give you license to take john into some very very dark places i mean i was you know i knew going into this film i'd seen the trailer i knew that john's wife was not going to be long for this world but even so i was surprised by the brutality of those early assaults on john his family his team 
it's not something that you take that that aesthetic is something that, that was very much evident in Sicario too, of course. Yeah, but because I think it's it's organic with the story you want to tell. If you want to create, uh, I mean, uh, I mean that, this is a revenge movie, so you want to create. I mean, to push your character to the limit, and of course, in order to do so, you have to be. Uh, gritty and uh, brutal, and also by having Michael, that is, uh, he is so transparent. His human being comes so much f- through his eyes that uh, even when he is pushed on uh, really dark places, you still know that at the end is a good guy. It's a good guy, and he is right on what he's doing. So it's a, it's delicate, but it's like. A, uh, a revenge movie can't be other than that. I mean, you you have to push your story to the limit and your character to the limit. Absolutely. But even so, even so, after going through this journey and working with Michael for the last couple of years, are you nervous when you get into a car with him? I'm always nervous when I am with him. <laughs> First, because he's driving normally, so... <laughs> Fantastic. Stefano Silima, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take Take care. care. Ciao. All right. So that was Stefano Silima. And now it's time for us to talk about Without Remorse. Now, I really enjoyed talking to Stefano about the movie. I like the movie. I wish we were talking about a Stone Cold action classic. We're not. It's a three-star movie. It's a solid action movie. But it has some really good action sequences. What do you guys think? I agree with you on the action sequences um, for the most part. I think they are really uh, cool to watch. There's a couple of really uh, great beats uh, in the scene where they kill John Kelly's wife. Um, There's a bit which actually I'm intrigued to uh, know how they pulled it off, but there's a lit flashlight which rolls around on the floor. And that is sort of a really sort of cool beat in the very tense scene. Uh, as I'm sure we're going to get into a little bit more detail, there's a prison scene which involving Michael B. Ginspiration, as I am now going to call him <laughs> from now on. He puts the B in abs. <laughs> yes, he does. Um, that you know, I think it, it belongs on, on on a lot of you know great scenes in so so yeah. movies. Less, it's really really great. But when I look at this film on paper, it should have been so much better than what we actually get on so many levels. Um, I don't think it's a film that makes uh, you know full use of Michael B. Jordan's many talents. I think in many ways the film is sort of one-dimensional. I think the script in many ways is dated. I feel like it's really cool on one level that we've gotten we're, we're getting Michael B. Jordan playing this character, the first black actor to play this role. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I could say that for other sort of uh other actors in this film as well. Jodie Turner-Smith playing a, you know, female Navy SEAL, um, the, the leader of, the, of that group. Um, on paper, that's significant. But if you don't give them anything meaningful to do on a character level, then how radical is it really? And there's mm-hmm. a lot of things I can sort of, you know, look to within this film, uh, which is basically a derivative of, of that point. So and th- th- there's, there's a lot about it which is disappointing because on paper, again, there's so much to work with here. Um, I just doesn't think I just don't think it gets anywhere near uh, the potential. Um, I, I don't think it get any. I don't think this movie gets anywhere near realizing its full potential, which is a shame. 
obviously this was meant to be on the big screen. This was a, this was a Paramount movie and it was sold at fairly short notice to Amazon. And that's the only place you can see it. It's, it's not showing in any cinemas right now. Do you think it would have benefited from a cinematic release and from being up there in the big screen? For example, I'm thinking of the, the plane crash sequence that, that would have benefited from the biggest screen possible. Yeah, you know, I do. I think, um, you know, the action is well enough shot. The budget is all there on screen. You know, it's it's got the kind of scale and the kind of excitement to work uh, in cinema. And, you know, I think all of us share the opinion that all movies are best seen in a cinema, if possible. Mm-hmm. That said, you know, it's been my position throughout the pandemic that it's I'm just grateful for any kind of big, silly film that comes out because, you know, we still need those uh, in, in the kind of mix of films available. So I have I welcomed it even even so. But I kind of agree with Amon. I feel like a lot of this was really, really good on paper. Um, your casting's good, interesting people involved, um, and then it, it it just kind of feels a little bit dated. And I wonder if, you know, adapters are going to have to work a little bit harder with Tom Clancy books as we move away from the sort of heyday of his worldview towards a slightly different situation. If If you have to work a little bit harder than this on the adaptation and really kind of make an effort to address the way the world has changed, not just in terms of the casting, which I think there are some really positive things here, but, you know, even then, you know, Jodie Turner-Smith's character, who, who Amon mentioned, like, they make her a sort of a niece, I think, of of uh, Admiral Greer. So they're kind of rooting it still in the past, and, and you mm. sort of want them to mo- keep moving forward and keep developing this, and and I'm not sure that they entirely have done. See, I, I liked that. I liked that she is she she definitely a niece. I thought I assumed she was his daughter, uh, James Greer, who was played, of course, by James Earl Jones, James Earl Jones in the yeah. in the Harrison Ford and the Alec Baldwin movies. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I thought uh, uh, I thought that was an interesting little link. In fact, I was slightly disappointed that there were not more nods to the the wider Jack Ryan movies. Obviously, mm-hmm. this is a reboot, yeah. So you couldn't necessarily have Harrison Ford show up for two seconds, you know. And uh, Jamie Bell plays Ritter. Mm-hmm. who is the same character played by Henry Sherney in Clear and Present Danger. Uh, so that might be a little tip off if mm-hmm. you're thinking, oh, which one of these two guys is the bad guy? Is it the one who goes on to become a major character in the Ryan book of uh, in the Ryan series of books and movies, or is it not? Who can say? Yeah, is it the guy that the movie's really trying to desperately to make us think isn't the bad guy? Who is the bad guy? Uh, but I quite like those little nods. I, I wish that, that, you know, even though it has a really egregious possibly the most egregious I've seen in a while franchise set up at the end of the movie yeah. with the, you know, the, you know, the formation of, of rainbow six and, and all that. Uh, I would have liked it to be even more egregious. I would have liked it to be the two of them standing there uh, next to the Washington Monument and then John Krasinski's Jack Ryan walks on and <laughs> he's like, hey, I hear you guys can get shit done and you know, I'm the smart guy who pushes pencils. You're the guy who pushes lead. <laughs> I mean, he really you know? doesn't. He is the smart guy who pushes lead in the, in the two seasons we've seen so far. He's killed true. a whole heap of people. Yes, but mainly, mainly with admin. I mean... <laughs> I, look, I I love Jack Ryan. I really do. I love most of the incarnations. I can even watch the Chris Pine one, albeit I haven't gone back to that very often. 
but he's the Mary Sueiest Mary Sue who has ever Mary Sued. Like he could not be more ludicrously competent in every single facet of human existence. If you if if you ever complain about Ray in Star Wars and you have enjoyed a, a Jack Ryan movie, fuck off. With the best will in the world, you know? In fairness, though, Ray has never been to university. She's never graduated top of her class. She has <laughs> never become a, a Marine. Yeah. Uh, she's never then joined the CIA or then through a series of circumstances oh, far and, too outrageous to talk about here. Major Fortin Wall Street. Yep, that's that's true. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, through a series of circumstances far too outrageous to talk about here, become the president of the United States of America. Now, see, see, uh, Ray, you could argue Ray isn't qualified necessarily, whereas Jack Jack Ray in. Oh my <gasps> God! It's all connected. <laughs> Helen, have you blown this thing wide open? <laughs> I think you may have. I think you may have. And Mary Sue is almost an anagram of Ryan. Pretty much, exactly. Yeah. No, look. So, I, like, I, I do, I do genuinely love uh, a bit of ridiculous Tom Clancy in my life. I really do. Yeah. I, I've never particularly engaged with all the Rainbow Six novels because I feel like they came a little bit past his heyday. So this, this didn't come. Like, this wasn't one that I knew very well going into it, which probably helped. Um, I was still pretty sure I knew who the bad guy was from yes. ooh, about two minutes in, but but still, that helped. Yeah. That's the one bit of casting that didn't work for me. Yeah. Because I think Guy Pierce at this point is just, he's too well known for playing that sort of guy. Like, I think even in, what was that Vin Diesel movie? Bloodshot. Bloodshot. The last movie I saw in the yeah. cinema before the pandemic. <laughs> oh, what a momentous occasion. And both movies do the same thing where they try and convince yeah. you that Guy Pierce isn't the bad guy, that Ed Exley yeah. hasn't become Dudley Smith. But unfortunately, that's the way the world is working these days. And he had spoilers for Bloodshot, by the way, um, <laughs> if anyone cares about spoiling Bloodshot. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also sort of, I have issues with uh, his sort of monologue speech he gives at the end where he reveals that, you know, confesses that he's the bad guy. Because I think, you know, I mentioned that Michael B. Jinspiration, um, <laughs> he, you know, it's cool that we're getting a black actor playing this role. But but because of that, you need to then retool the script to reflect that. Mm-hmm. And if you've got a white actor saying the lines that Guy Pierce is saying to Michael B. Jordan at the end of this film, it's like, I'm reminded of um, that recent line in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier in terms of I'm a, I'm a black man wearing the stars and stripes. What don't I understand? Yeah. Michael B. Jordan's character, being a black man in America, would understand sort of <laughs> the deal when it comes to race in America and who hates who and everything else. And the way in which the lines that Guy Pierce is saying comes across, it feels like that was written when John Kelly was still a white character. You need to change the script to reflect that because, you know, it's, it, it, you're, you're just saying very obvious things to a guy who already would Knows know those that. things. Yeah. 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 Do you think? Because obviously Jordan's producer in this as well. And he's been he's been on it for well, some yeah, while. No, it's, it's, it's on him as well. He should have been more aware, I would, I would think. I can't remember that speech well enough. What was in that speech? I've I mean, it's, it's half somewhere. this country thinks the other half is his enemy. And, oh, yeah. You know, they needed a real yeah. enemy to kill. And so I gave him a real enemy. Um, yeah. No, it, look. And the, the other problem with that is. The divisions in America right now would actually be exacerbated by this kind of outside war because half the country would see it as a distraction from the the issues that America faces, and the other half would, you know, be all gung ho about it. That's what we've seen for the past literally twenty years. So, 
his speech makes no sense on a number of levels. Um, his plan makes no sense on a number of levels. But I mean, this is an action movie with a geopolitical, mm. you know, setting. So of course it makes no sense. So I am willing to, you know, cut it a little bit of sn- a slack uh, on yes. on these these issues. There's a scene towards the end where a character I can't remember whether it's Ritter or Clark, which may <laughs> tell you everything about this movie. But they're talking about how. Everything, the mission in Aleppo at the beginning, the attack on the uh, the Navy SEALs wiping out uh, like half of John's team, mm. everything that, that stemmed from that was a setup. And it makes you think, wow, Guy Pierce is really pulling the strings here because what well, he knows that Clark would then survive the attack on his life and then he'd be the loose cannon who would go and try and kill that Russian dude and then you know, set everything in motion, or is he just rolling with the punches? You know, did not, he have a know. backup wild card yeah. who he thought might go wild if all the yeah. team were killed? Maybe Jack Ryan. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, but, yeah. it, um, but of course, he's a he's an admin guy, as you've established. Chris. He is an admin guy. I, yeah. I don't. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense because there is a bit of rehab in there, isn't there, from his injuries? This is not Tied happening. They try over- to make him go to rehab. He said, no, no, no. And, and you know, there's a bit of rehab, there's a bit of prison time. Like, it's at least, like, let's be incredibly generous to the film and say it's weeks. It looks like months. The film makes it look like months. Yeah. So a lot of the kind of impetus of, of that scheme sort of begins to fall apart when you think about it that way. But again, it's an action movie. We are expecting massive, massive plot holes. Um the, the the portrayal of Northern Ireland in Patriot Games, for example, is perhaps not it's the spot most spot on. Helen, I agree. Yes, one hundred and ten percent spot on. <laughs> They're too insane for the IRA. I love that that Hollywood trope. He's too mad to be a terrorist. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, there's there's lots of stuff here. I mean, I, I I really not so much the sentiments of what Guy Pierce is saying, and not so much of you know of the um, the cultural impact of what he's saying. But I, I admire that scene because it shows, the, the entire film is set up to show you how, how much of a badass John Kelly slash Clark is mm. and how precise he is as an assassin. And here's how precise he is. He times Guy Pierce's confession to the exact point that he needs to drive off that bridge into the Potomac <laughs> to be rescued <laughs> by Jodie Turner-Smith. Yeah. That is some that is some high-level interrogation. It's like, okay, okay, I've got to slow it down a bit. He hasn't quite confessed when I thought he was going oh, to. Red light, oh, let's draw this out. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to pop into the 7-Eleven and grab a coffee <laughs> if that's all right with you. you know, what? That, that is incredible precision. Amazing. Cars are where... Uh, John Kelly does some of his best work in this film. That's <laughs> <laughs> to be said. Yeah. Dousing a car in flames to interrogate a guy. Yeah. As, yeah, that's, that's a boss move. That's called boxing. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does, the, does the car thing, because I remember when we first saw the trailer for this and uh, it had it, it disappeared off the radar a little bit, this movie. Uh, but we were when, it, when the trailer hit, we were, were excited for it. And the reason I was excited for it was because of that scene where he sets a car on fire and then gets into the car to start interrogating <laughs> the dude. And I was like, wow, if the entire movie is like that, then we could be in for some John Wick level mayhem. Mm. And I wonder if that scene, I don't know whether it's a tonal thing, because that's such an absurd act. It's such an absurd, tough guy, machismo act that you almost need the movie to roll tonally into it and mm-hmm. be be absurd and be mm. over the top stylistically in a, a way that John Wick does or in the way that in a couple of weeks time, nobody 
does, yeah. which mm. makes it, which leans into the the comedy of it all. And this mm. doesn't do that, and it's just a little bit. And I admire. Listen, this sounds like I'm kicking the film. I admire a lot of the action direction here. I think you know there's some really really good action scenes. Mm. I think Michael B. Jordan is excellent in this movie. I would certainly like to see him have a second go around at the character. I don't think that's going to happen. I think mm. I've got a feeling that this hasn't really connected the way that they wanted it to. But uh, so you know, so there are good things about it. But I do wonder if tonally they maybe just misjudged it slightly. I'll I'll tell you one of the things they got tonally wrong, and you're going to be amazed when I say this. You're going to be absolutely <laughs> taken aback. Is it the fridging? They shouldn't have killed his wife and unborn daughter. I'm I'm shocked. I did not see you. I did not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> but that is genuinely that's half the problem with the film right there is because you have to take that seriously. And he's a good enough actor that of course he's going to take that seriously. He's not going to play a character who shrugs that off and goes mm. on with his life because that isn't realistic. That isn't human. And he's he's a guy who can portray humanity brilliantly while also portraying you know action action heroes or villains. But but once you've done that, like there is no way back for that character. There's no way back for him to be quipping. There is no way for him to make light of anything. There is no way for him to have any sense of proportion for the entire rest mm-hmm. of the film. And you didn't need to do it. They've killed his entire team and tried to kill him. Mm-hmm. That's enough. Not Not only did you not need to do that, but... If you're going to do that, can we spend more than 60 seconds with Pam, which a name I had to look up because I obviously did not remember it. I haven't ever watched the film. Whoa, John Clark would not be happy with you. That's his whole thing. He gets in a room of people. He goes, my wife's name was Pam. He says it. It was almost like he's got a little little speech that he hands to people. It's laminated. You know, my name, my wife's name is Pam. You're going to say her name before you die. And then most people don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. She's she's on screen for a minute before she's bumped, and you know I like Michael B. Jordan. I'm a big fan of his from like Creed and uh, Black Panther, obviously. Um, you Black Panther? Those- <laughs> I know <laughs> that's as surprising as me mentioning fridging. <laughs> <laughs> but those movies gave him more dimensions to play, mm-hmm. um, and I think if you at least spend more than one singular scene and more than sort of, you know, flashback scenes or, you know, dream sequences with Pam and actually get to know yeah. more about that relationship. At the very least, you can then have him play more emotions because as good as he is in this and he is good and it's a physical, intense performance, it's, his default emotion is rage and we rarely see him deviate from that. And that is not making the best use of Michael B. Jordan in your film. 100%. Yeah, no, I, com- I completely, completely agree. I think, um, you know, if you'd given her more time on screen, it would have made more of an impact as uh, in, in so many ways. But even if you think about it in comparison to, uh, isn't it Patriot Games where there's the car crash with Jack Ryan's daughter? I think it's um, Patriot Games and she loses her spleen and he, t- he taunts her about <laughs> losing her spleen. Do you remember that? Sorry, it's really what? fucking evil. Yeah. Yeah, what? seriously. Wow. So she gets she gets hurt and her, his wife and daughter are in a car crash that's caused by the baddies and like they have to be rushed to hospital and I think his daughter loses her spleen and the bad guy is all like oh it's going to be hard for her to fight off illness and like wow. that's his big wow his I don't remember that on Jack Ryan anyway the big Jack Ryan movies for me are Clear and Present Danger and The Hunt for Red October which is which perfect are, yeah. yeah which are the, the, the they're the top of the tree uh, Patriot Games I am not as <laughs> familiar with so I do remember Thora Birch is the daughter in that Thora isn't Birch she Thora Birch is the daughter yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I remember the bit where he's walking down the street doing some admin. He's got he's got a little pencil, a little folder, and he sees mm-hmm. the reflection of the IRA assassin behind him in the cars mm-hmm. he's passing, which has always mm-hmm. uh, kept me mindful of people's reflections and, and shadows uh, in, in cars, which is why I've never been assassinated by the IRA. That's incredibly impressive, Chris. Wow, amazing. <laughs> they keep trying. They keep trying. Um, Are you not a, sure? They're not a fan of this podcast. Um, by a similar token, um, if you have Coleman Domingo in your film, I mean, yeah. please put Coleman Domingo in your film for more than two minutes. Come yeah. on. That come is on, people. just, I yeah. mean, ugh, if, I had, if I had more than 15 minutes with Stefano Salima, I might have asked him, and I'm pretty sure it was on my list of questions, more Coleman Domingo, mm-hmm. because Coleman's mustard, and more, come on guys, and more of the <laughs> the wife as well, played by Lauren London. Um more, yeah. more Pam. That's what we need. More Pam. Right, The Office. We're getting back to Krasinski now, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Knowing look to camera. But you're absolutely right. And the thing about the Phrygian is, and this may sound harsh, whatever happened to a good old-fashioned bit of kidnapping? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> this again, is such... nothing. Or, Don't have her. Yes, you could have nothing. You could have nothing. You could have... <laughs> You know, and you could have no um, no love interest in this movie because you know he has he has chemistry aplenty with Jodie Turner Smith as Karen Greer. You, Who you know, is, by the way, a niece? Th- sorry, I checked it. A niece. She is a niece. She is okay, a niece. so you could have something going on there with with those characters. Of course, you have no room for it because of the very very sad circumstances of his wife's murder. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I, this movie reminds me a little bit of a more po faced Commando, even down to you know his team being picked off at the beginning of the movie. And one guy's even going out and taking out the the, the trash. Uh, the guy gets run over by by the fan. And uh, in Commando, Matrix doesn't have a wife. He has a daughter who is kidnapped, mm. and that's all that the bad guys need to ha- hang over him. You know this this threat of of the kidnapping. But as you say, it, you know it might just be enough to have his team wiped out. And he wants answers. Damn it, he wants <laughs> answers. Yeah, I, and and also you know you could also have you know, the wife survive in some way. And then the tragedy of the film would be him having to go off on his own, a sort of Mission Impossible 3 ending, if you will. Because um, mm-hmm. that also gives you something to play with that isn't a yet another fridging. Oh, I, anyway, look, everyone knows I don't, I'm don't. i not going to like this development, so I'm just going to stop talking about it. But still, <laughs> bad move, guys. Let's talk about the air crash, which mm, yeah. is an incredibly cool uh, piece of action that for me suffered one huge problem, which is that I have no idea why he was f- swimming down into the ship. I got that he needed to get something, mm-hmm. but if they told me what he was trying to get, they said it in some kind of you know Tom Clancy-esque jargon, and Tom Clancy is the king of jargon, and I respect <laughs> that, but at the same time, you need the audience to understand what the fuck is going on, I feel like, yes, if you want them 100%. to invest in that scene. There's a few scenes that have that similar problem, mm-hmm. because I think that the best action scenes they tell a story within the story, beginning, a middle, and end. And that scene that you mentioned, and the plane scene, is one that just needed the setup. If we know what's at stake, yeah. and he's going for it, and then he has to you know, fight his way through an obstacle, and then another, and then another obstacle before he gets to the thing, yeah. that immediately, imparting that knowledge to the audience, immediately mm. make, makes that scene a lot better and a lot more effective. Yeah. My in-flight As meal! A- oh no! <laughs> <laughs> it was my so over- tasty. <laughs> my overhead bag. Ah! <laughs> it's I mean- got my iPad in it. 
I just I, I downloaded mean, so much content. Because the thing is, like, you know, in retrospect, of course, of course, it's a lifeboat. But at the same time, like, they've got a plane packed with all sorts of crazy weaponry and shit, presumably. So mm-hmm. we don't know that. We don't know what he's trying to get. We don't really understand what the hell they're doing at that point. And I just felt like there were, like Amon says, there are a lot of moments like that where just a little bit of clarity would have gone a really, really long way. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm. So that we could just invest in it a bit more, you know, and and even some of the even the really cool kind of shootout in Moscow. Is it Moscow they're in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, I, you know, just make it clear why the shooting has suddenly started. What's going on? I I I got that there had been a betrayal and a double cross, and that their lives were now in danger. But I still, even then, I was like, and who who's the shooter, and why are they shooting? And, and- and- even then within that scene, and I know that they're trying to get out and I know that sort of, you know, the police that's shooting at them don't really know what's going on. But at the same time, the police, you know, they're not the guilty party here. They're, you know, still innocent. And this guy is just ruthlessly, ruthlessly dispatching them. I'm like, I think I messaged you at the time, Helen. Are we meant to be rooting for John Kelly here as he's just ruthlessly dispatching? <laughs> Maybe innocent is a too strong of a word, but still like not fully guilty people. Oh no! Those people, are, those, away, people but... those people are guilty. Those people going after them are guilty. They're they're not they're not, they're, they're, they're not cops. They're not cops. They're, not they're cops? no. They're Russian soldiers who've been sent to to, uh, to take him out. Wait, hang he's on. Not, he's not just killing a whole bunch of cops at the end. No, no. <laughs> I think I so I understood it that the sniper was actually shooting at the cops, and yes. he was shooting a few times at like the cars and stuff to scare people away and keep you know keep people from shooting him. But he wasn't actually shooting people. That was how I read that scene. Have I got it wrong? Which sniper? The Russian sniper. No, the Ru- so the Russian sniper is is actively shooting cops, thinking that the Americans yes. will get the blame. Yes. But mm-hmm. uh, John Kelly Clarkson is 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 actually just shooting at not cops. He's shooting at like cars, or he's shooting at the, yes. the sniper, or he's shooting at anybody else. But he's not actively yes. trying to kill people in that scene. That was how I saw it. But, among, but then who, the, who people are the people who, that, That's the Russian. Who, that's the they're the Russian. Oh, yeah. okay. They're the equivalent of the, the CIA, only with the Russian okay. accent. Yeah, KGB as well. case, yes. In that case, I rescind my previous comment. Then this movie is five stars. <laughs> five <Well> stars! <laughs> Hooray! I knew we'd get there in the end. I I, I did like the uh, that last battle uh, with an increasingly bullet-ridden. I mean, Michael B. Jordan gets shot enough times in this movie, doesn't he? I mean, my word. I think he gets yeah. shot 75 times. He's a, he's a bloody <laughs> pincushion by the end of it. And uh, still knocking around. You can't kill John Kelly slash Clark. Uh, I, I quite liked it. I mean, it's it's absurd, but I imagine it's also maybe fairly close to how one man might go about tactically clearing out a building of, mm. of hostile people, starting from the top, which is probably, I think we've all read our Jack Reacher. Uh, you know, he's, start, he's starting from the top and working his way down. Probably not the best uh, tactical advantage. So I thought that I thought that stuff was pretty pretty impressive. Pretty it was, good. I mean, it was and, cool. and yeah, him yeah. jumping into the ambulance and getting away. You know, I thought there were yeah. a lot of really really cool beats in that scene. But again, I just I just like a you know me. I like my my films to be clear where they need and to present. be and present where they <laughs> yeah. need to be. And and I didn't always yeah. think that this succeeded in that. I just wanted more character mm. as well from everybody. It's just so shallow that I just struggle to. Invest, especially like I know that the whole investment is meant to come from the fridging, but we spoke about why that's a problem. And they don't really dive into John Kelly in an introspective way to really sort of make you invest in that character anymore mm. uh, beyond the fridging. And it feels like 
he has a character, a lot of things are happening to him without us getting to know him and, you know, feel the full effect of that. And some of the other character scenes as well, you know, when you've got somebody talking about his kids back home, I mean, come on, you're really, you're talking about your sweetheart back home. Am I the only one who's seen hot shots here? <laughs> Dead meat Thompson, anybody? Come on. Um, that, that was a mistake. I, I, you know, so they were trying to build in those character moments, but not always in the most elegant or least cliched manners, I felt. So you think that maybe if it if it had gone all in and gone for some incredible choreography and for example I'm thinking of I'm thinking of uh, as Kelly goes down the stairs of that building and he's increasingly fatigued and he's increasingly wounded and mm. he begins to act accordingly which I thought was really yeah. really cool uh, but if that had been for example a oneer like the amazing scene in Atomic Blonde where Charlize Theron is also increasingly fatigued and unable to move and is just basically slogging her way down the stairs trying to get out there alive by any means necessary. Maybe if they'd infested a little bit more in the action choreography side of things. I I don't know. It's not really how Stefano Salima worked in Sicario 2. Mm. It's not about flashy choreography or, or flashy action design, but I, I wonder if that might have helped. I mean, it, it might have done. You know, I like a fancy one or as much as the next, you know, Ooh, nerd. But... um. But like, I don't even demand that. Like, I don't even think it needed that kind of flash and that kind of pizzazz necessarily, because that hasn't traditionally been. Well, it certainly hasn't traditionally been where the Jack Ryan films have gone, and maybe it would have been a way to distinguish John Clark. I don't know, but I don't. I don't think that was really what was missing so much as just there was maybe a sense of propulsiveness that was a little bit missing from this. I'm not sure what the ticking clock was. I'm not sure what the urgency of anything was. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond his, you know, thirst for revenge or whatever. That's it. Without yeah. remorse. Yeah, he is without remorse. He <laughs> is a pawn taking down a king. It needed more chess metaphors for me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I did. I did love though, the contrast between the, the, um, the Russian slash American equivalent of John Clark, Victor Rykov, played by <laughs> Brett Gelman. So John Clark mm. is this ripped, cut, walking ab of a human being <laughs> who can go into a room and kill everybody in it with a paper clip and, and then walk go out like with the barbecue, nary a scratch. You know, yeah. <laughs> and the, the his equivalent, his you know, we're told repeatedly that he is the basic equivalent of John Clark is a fat, balding, middle-aged white man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's also it's another one of these movies where the villains are the ones who want to change the status quo and the goodies just wanna, you know, do the same old, same old. So yeah. I don't know. That that isn't always my favourite either. Are you saying a bad guy with a point? Uh oh. No, not no, not really. I thought his point was stupid in this case, which helped. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um so <laughs> Yes, yes, Guy Pierce, I've listened to you and it's stupid. It is stupid. Um, listen, there's a lot of stuff I liked about this movie, and uh, I think you know it's it's clearly they're clearly trying to set up a franchise. As I said, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think this movie has had much of a cultural impact or much of a an afterlife. I might be completely wrong in that. And the second we stop recording, I'll click on the movie news and. Without Remorse 2 has been announced, uh, a crossover in which John Krasinski will play Jack Ryan, and I'd be all for that if it happened. But Look, I mean, this could be the sort of Batman Begins of the franchise, which, you know, does well enough over time, has just enough legs to give somebody a green light for episode two. And what, be sneakily the best one? 
Look, I'm not saying <laughs> if I, I hope it isn't sneakily the best one because that would be <laughs> that would be kind of sad. But um, but you, you never know; it's it's possible. Yeah. And being controversial. Two without Dark two Knight's or more confirmed in yeah, the Empire right podcast. <laughs> we, we, seriously, we need to retire that joke. We need to never, retire that joke. Never. We without can't just keep saying. Sue, remorse boogaloo. No, no, no. We need to retire this joke, honestly. Never. Stop like, uh, Stop trying to make Tom Clancy in the big screen happen. Stop trying to make that joke happen, <laughs> is what I would say. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, this character's been played before in the big screen, of course, by Liev Schreiber in The Sum of All Fears mm-hmm. and by Willem Dafoe. I'd say more success. in Clear and Present Danger. There is a franchise in this character. There is something about him. You know, one of the problems with Jack Ryan on the big screen, small screen notwithstanding, is that he is Captain Admin. He is basically just doing some amped up filing. That's basically what he's doing. And so you have to bring in the action elements around him (laughs) <laughs> and mm-hmm. that works really successfully in Clare and Present Danger, where it is Willem Dafoe taking care of the action action elements. This should have been a slam dunk, because right from the off, you have the action elements that are embedded in this character. And then you could have worked your way up to some light filing and paperwork. <laughs> sure. And I do love that, like, like that opening shot of them coming out of the water. I thought it was super, super effective. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, the, 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 the kind of the Syrian interlude was unclear like am i supposed to care about the person they're rescuing the answer was no but i wasn't sure for a minute you know there, there was a lot of that kind of wooliness uh, even then but but you were clear instantly that this guy was a badass and his team could could do things and you know that was fun uh so so yeah i look but i like the fact that jack ryan is about solving puzzles yeah, you know, I'm not dissing Jack Ryan. And the endless enlargement of satellite photos that somehow miraculously tell you that Irish people are visiting a camp in the desert, you know, that mm. seems totally reasonable and rational. But then it makes it more exciting when an admin dude is in the midst of this crazy ambush in downtown, was it Bogota? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that scene is incredible. That scene is magnificent. Yeah. And I'm not sure there's anything here, good as the action is, that mm-hmm. matches the sheer sweaty panic of Jack Ryan in that scene. Because he's Jack Ryan, because even though he's, say, he yeah. can take care of himself, he is not someone who can just shoot his way out of a situation like that. And that is why that scene works. The the other, the best, the other best scene in Clear and Present Danger is literally admin. It's it's a sequence he is, where he is rushing. The <laughs> yeah, he's rushing to print stuff out before Henry Sherney can delete it. That is your high tension, high stakes action sequence right there. It's just two dudes at a keyboard. It's Wild. Um, I'm getting if off a point slightly. Us, welcome to the Clear and Present Danger Spoiler Special. It's the best, apart from Hunt for Red October, which is How magnificent. How dare you, sir? Oh, he points his finger at the President of the United States and oh, tells him a little bit about himself. He's so good. Yes, please. Anyway, let's not get derailed here. Uh, I just want to say really, really quick, Helen, you said that uh, they should perhaps, it's it's difficult to adapt to Tom Clancy, and it is because those things are fucking doorstops uh, mm, for are, one yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but whatever I, w- I read Without Remorse years ago, but I don't remember very much about it. And uh, when I was coming up to, re- to watching this movie and interviewing Stefano Salima, I wanted to try and find the the book again and reread the book, and I found it impossible to find. So I was trying the same thing. Yes. Yeah. It's uh. not on. It's it's you can get like old paperback versions, used paperback versions, secondhand paperback versions on Amazon. Uh, it's not available on Bookshop.org. It's not available on Hive.co.uk. They haven't re-released it, as far as I can tell, uh, it, to tie in with the movie, which is weird. Tie in paperbacks, folks. It's all the rage. So right, I didn't really remember much about it, but I did go back <laughs> and look at the uh, the plot 
uh, summary on the IMDb, and it is wild. I mean, it bears literally no resemblance to the movie we've seen. So they have actually done a lot of adaptation work to it. No, that mm-hmm. yeah. What I was kind of, I think, trying to say is more that the mind, less that the plots need to change, although some of them probably definitely do, but more that the mindsets kind of reflects less where we are and who we are these days. So I kind of feel like that's the danger as you get further and further away from the Cold War setting and the kind of the classic Tom Clancy books, which don't really include the one where he becomes president and his first act is to focus on the tax code, important as that is for small businesses <laughs> in the US. And you know, and their economy is insane, right? You know that they have no PAYE and you have to just like figure out your tax every year. And if you get it wrong, you go to prison. I mean, it's mad. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, yes, indeed. But uh, he has he has a wife. He does his wife does get fridged in without remorse, according to the the Amazon mm. uh, summary. However, it's wild. So she 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 is pregnant also. So that is something that they did port over from the book. But um, he recently lost his pregnant wife Patricia in a car accident. So John Kelly is in 1970. He picks up a hitchhiker named Pam on his way to his home in Battery Island in the Chesapeake Bay. So P- Pam isn't even his wife. But Patricia is his wife, pregnant wife. Uh, Kelly and Pam become lovers. And over time, Kelly discovers that she was a runaway who became a drug mule and a prostitute. Then, then Liz Pam gets (laughs) killed. Wow. So dude's unlucky. Fun. Is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. Not a good time to be John Kelly slash Clark. Anyway, on that note, I think that is it. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about without remorse. I was I would just say that I think it's a matter of time before Gareth Evans comes a call and Michael B. Jordan's number. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised it's not happened already. That would have been an amazing director. Wow, yeah. Michael B. Jordan's an actor who'd be very up for the challenge of being uh, Gareth Evans' muse in one of his films. Uh, so I would also like to note that apparently um, Kelly Clark's um, Kelly Clark's blood type in this is B positive, so there's a message there for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's just a random thing I noticed, and now all of you have to notice it too. Wow. That's all I'm telling you. From Michael B. Jordan to Michael B. Positive, what a great <laughs> note on which to end this podcast. Uh, as we leave behind the bloodied remains of without remorse, uh, these two, these two, like, honestly, these two have just come in and they've just kicked it. They've kicked it to bits and then kicked it off a rooftop. What? Oh, unbelievable. Anyway, be positive, be positive, be positive. That is my motto. And on that note, that is it for our Without Remorse spoiler special. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for subscribing as ever to the spoiler specials. It really does mean a lot. Keep them peeled as well for the regular podcast out every Friday as well. And keep them keep them peeled on your spoiler special feed because you never know what may drop into your feed next. I don't know. So how the hell you're going to know? I have no idea. But keep them peeled anyway. Uh, But until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is time to say goodbye to the pawns who might just become kings. Michael B. Jimspiration. Look at those guns. I'm on Warren. Peace. (laughs) It's goodbye from Clear and Present Helen. Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me, Clark (laughs) Kaelin. I really should have put in more effort. But who knows? Step up your game, Hewitt. Maybe it's a highfalutin metaphor for the film itself. Anyway, I'm off to sit in a burning car just for shits and giggles. That's the sort of guy I am. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.